contact improvisation is not about so much the the this erotization of touch as it is um, uh, a decentralizing of erotics. Dropped In is a podcast about cultivating resilience through artistic practice. Hosts Paul Singh and Aaron Brando drop in with artists, activists, teachers, and improvising human beings to discuss the politics and poetics of somatic practice and purposeful embodiment in a world of ever-shifting obstacles. Today we are dropping in with Roma Biget. Roma digs, writes about, translates, curates, and improvises with contemporary experimental dances and queer and trans feminist philosophies. They live, teach, and research nomadically in and out of Paris, France. Roma fell in dance in North America while teaching in the five college system in Western Massachusetts. A dance improviser curious to bring philosophy into the dance studio, they dedicated a PhD dissertation to contact improvisation and currently investigates the somato-political potentials of dance for mobilizing sensitivities to other critters. Roman, I, I really want to start off um, with the concept of love today and, and just your research and your journey, um, both, both through your research and, and, and wherever other layers, um, certainly through the practice of contact improvisation, but just your, your, your journey through the concept of love or to it or, or how, how it informs and how it has informed your work and where it stands in your, in your, in your trajectory of research and practice. Yeah. Um, well, the first time, uh, we talked about love. The thing that came to my mind was a, a quote by uh, Jacques Lacan, who's really definitely not a philosopher I would recommend, but we can steal from old white guys uh, nice sentences, which uh, is the following. Uh, he has this definition of love as um, uh, aimer, c'est donner quelque chose well, aimer, c'est donner quelque chose qu'on n'a pas à quelqu'un qui n'en veut pas. So that's the, the French. Uh, uh, to love is to give something you don't have to someone who doesn't want it. So it's, it, it sounds terrible at first, uh, but there is uh, something profound in this uh, proposition that I find useful to understand what happens in a contact improvisation Do it. So love is giving something you don't have to someone who doesn't want it, we can take it apart and look at the first part of that sentence, giving something you don't have. Why is that? Why, why is love giving something you don't have? Well, it is something, giving something you don't have because if you had it, if you were able uh, to possess the thing that you give, then once you give it, you would uh, no longer be able to sustain the relation. You would no longer be able to uh, give it to your partner. So um, in order 
for the uh, relationship to be sustainable, uh, love must uh, rest on something uh, that is not possessed by the giver. Uh, now, on the other side, if the uh, uh, receiver was to uh, uh, was to have a desire for uh, the thing that is given to them, if uh, uh, for instance, if I uh, knew in advance what I want uh, from you in our love relationship, then once you give it to me, then once I have received the gift, I would be somehow satisfied and then the uh, possibility for receiving your gift would no longer be uh, available to me or us. So as a receiver, I, I need also to be uh, not desiring what you will give me in the love, which is not to say exactly that I, I am not desiring you. It is more about uh, I cannot preempt, I cannot pre-envisage what you will give me in this uh, loving relationship. So. Uh, I find this uh, situation a quandary uh, uh, and a good quandary to um, uh, investigate. Uh, okay, so now what is given in this uh, love relationship? What is that object that I can give without having and that you can receive without wanting? Yeah, that's the, it, let's say that's the, 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 the problem of love, uh, at least according to the coordinates defined by Lacan. Um, Lacan has his own response, which we will not deal with, but um, a proposition more or less taken from my experience of contact improvisation, but also from you know, life, uh, would be that that thing that uh, love gives, which one doesn't possess, that thing that you give to the other without having it, it could be defined as uh, your potential. Uh, what, 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 what you give as a lover, what you give is not something that you already are, uh, meaning your uh, social status, your money, your, I mean, many things that you can uh, be or have. Uh, so it's not something that you are or are, but, are, but it's something on the contrary that you are not yet. That's the, the very thing that you are giving in the love relationship is the not yet of yourself. And this not yet of yourself, of course, the other cannot want it in the sense, not again, that they do not want you, but in the sense that they cannot anticipate what this not yet will be made of. They cannot, by definition, uh, know what this not yet will become in the gift of the relation. In the, in the process of being given, this not yet is transformed. And uh, the, 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 the love relationship is the frame or the occasion for the not yet to be uh, um, um, fulfilled or to blossom between two individuals. Now, uh, how does that connect to uh, a, a form of uh, 
uh, duet dancing, like contact improvisation. Well, the, it, it's very uh, simple. Maybe you've already recognized some of the things that you, you, you know of what a contact improvisation duet is. A contact improvisation duet doesn't rest on the, uh, the gift of my technical abilities, of my uh, 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 story, of my uh, uh, knowledge. I mean, all of that comes, of course, in the package. But what makes it uh, uh, an improvisation, what makes it something that is not known, is that what I give you is precisely uh, what I don't know myself I can do. Um, and, well, it can have one uh, uh, aspect, uh, one word for, to describe is, is, uh, is dis disequilibrium or unbalance. What I give you, what I give you, uh, instead of giving you my, you know, somehow my stability, my structure, my strength, all of that come, coming in the package. What I give you is precisely my, my capacity of being unbalanced together with you. Uh, and that, in that gift, that uh, ungrateful gift, that that strange gift of the uh, uh, of the of the destability, is the the gift of contact improvisation, giving giving a ground that I don't have somehow, uh, or giving the ground that I I'm precisely losing, and so in that sense there is something in contact improvisation that uh, gives an image, uh, at the very least, or maybe exercises, uh, if we want to go further, exercises the, uh, a, so, a sort of capacity for love in that radical sense of training us to be able to give something we don't have to someone who doesn't want it. Now, uh, there's a, within that situation, within that uh, uh, gift of potentials that we are offering to each other in a, in a contact improvisation duet. There is also uh, uh, the, 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 another level uh, that is not unconnected to it, which would be the, the level of, um, of, of erotics, the level where love, which... Uh, uh, translates into Greek as a, as a eros, as a, uh, uh, that's one of the translation of, uh, of, of love in, in Greek. Um, love can take that form of eroticism and um, it's a form that you can define uh, um, as a, we did last time, as the the capacity uh, the capacity for sharing joy yeah that's what we um, um, uh, addressed last time we talked together uh, uh, recalling uh, the the this fabulous text by uh, Audrey Lord called the the uses of the of the erotic uh, the erotic as power where Audrey Lord advocates for uh, a reiterate territorialization, uh, sort of a reclaiming of erotics from the point of view of a queer feminist practice. Um, in that sense, in that, in that uh, erotic uh, sense, which is different maybe 
slightly from the one that we uh, uncovered with Lacan. Um, in that sense, there is uh, a lesson in contact improvisation to be uh, drawn, I think, from the, um, the thorough invention of um, places and reasons and uh, tools to uh, um, and organs to take pleasure from. That, I think, is where contact improvisation teaches us another way to understand love or erotics. Uh, meaning that, and that's something that Steve Paxton, uh, when he um, started to be interrogated around uh, eroticism in contact, I think said quite beautifully is to say that it's contact improvisation is not about so much the, the this eroticization of touch as it is um, uh, a decentralizing of erotics, meaning that um, a heteropatriarchal uh, hierarchy between the organs and the body tends to give uh, proeminence uh, to the s uh, said sexual organs uh, in erotics, while contact improvisation makes this uh, amazing proposal to decenter or to decentralize uh, uh, erotic touch and to consider the uh, entire body, the entire surface of the body, as a potential. Um, uh, place of pain pleasure but also as a potential space for sharing joy in the sense that we just <laughs> alluded to through Audrey Lord. Do you have a do you have a story about your first encounters with contact like what, what was that like for you how did you meet the form? Huh it I, did, I met the form actually not far from where you are, Brando, right now. I was um, teaching at Amherst College. I was uh, uh, teaching French, as my accent is indicating. Um, and as um, many of my professors always told me, the main uh, teacher is always the student, and so I, 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 I was telling them that I was studying dance as a as a philosopher, and they told me that I should that why why don't you dance why 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 are you you know why are you just reading dancers and going to see perform performances, and so they uh, convinced me, and so I listened carefully. Uh, they convinced me that I should go and uh, try. Con try out, try out uh, a dance class. And so I ended up in a Feliz Polzan uh, class. Um, all of that is very blurry uh, <laughs> in my memory right now. I see a sort of a general confusion of senses and a sort of an of a indistinct mass of colors and affects. That's, that's what presents to mind when I focus my memory to that first semester uh, involved with contact improvisation. Uh, discovering that I had a back, 
and discovering that I could leak. Uh, not in the sense of, uh, oh, I mean, I mean, yes, in the sense of sweating, in the sense of <laughs> probably drooling sometimes. <laughs> but, um, but what I mean is that uh, uh, the, the possibility of leaking had to do of the, with the possibility of not knowing precisely or as precisely as I thought I could where the boundaries of the self ended, where my edge was, it was no longer so sure that this, um, the limits were, well, basically those of the, those of the skins. They could, uh, they could somehow uh, be augmented. Um, and that, 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 that discovery, the idea that, uh, well, the, I, I could have a leaky sense of self. Uh, uh, I, I think is the uh, the main memory I have of encountering the form. Do you have an approach that helps you remain with every passing moment in a dance to help keep meeting the person where they are um, when you're in a contact duet? Is there some kind of thing that's passing through you that helps keep meeting the present moment with the person based off of all of the philosophy that you are working with in trying to meet content improv? Well, there is that one uh, sort of inner under score that I keep repeating to myself that um, uh, I discovered uh, while dancing with uh, Sarah Connor, uh, a common friend of ours, uh, which is um, somehow repeating to myself that this is exactly what I want um, mm. over and over again, whatever is happening, uh, this is exactly what I want or this is exactly what I need. Um, meaning uh, a sort of presupposition that the other actually knew better than I did what was needed. But it's not so much about the other than it is about the situation or the event itself that is between us. Um, maybe Nick, last time we mentioned this concept or this um, a general theory that is called uh, relational ontology. The idea that what there are in the world is not substances, is not individuals, is not things, but relations. What there is before there is anything else, before there is you and me, there is the relation between those things. So let, let's imagine that uh, this is the same for a contact improvisation relationship. Um, there is not I and Paul that are entering in a dance. There is a dance that then makes I and Paul exist constantly. Uh, and of course, it's not only I and Paul, it's I and Paul and the ceiling and the ground and the windows. And, and this should be taken uh, very seriously. It means that the, uh, the, the, the event is taking care of itself. The, the, the atmosphere is taking care of itself. And it is the locus of the dance. This, the dance is not happening in me or in Paul, it's happening in the in-between of us. And so I am 
uh, a, a, a manifestation uh, of the uh, this uh, bundle of relations that are th of which I am not the center. Uh, I I mean when I am saying all this, I think this is at the same time uh, a, a, a philosophical conviction. Like uh, I think that we need to reassert the fact that we are not individuals or substances, that mm. we are uh, enmeshed in uh, relations that precede us. So that it's first a philosophical conviction, but it's also uh, an, an elation, uh, um, uh, an, uh, uh, a physical experience of joy. Uh, as I know I can, exp I can have in a contact improvisation duet. Those moments where I think I am at the most uh, uh, intense uh, of my uh, capacity for joy are those moments where um, I, well, I am danced, of course, of course, uh, that's the basis of being, of dancing, I guess. Um, but not only am I danced, but more importantly, I, uh, mm, uh, this is not about me. Mm -hmm. And I am but a, um, an expression uh, and it's a, and it's and it's not voluntarily that I am, but I am, but an expression of uh, the, the 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 an atmosphere, an event that is fundamentally more than human, or uh, uh, other than human. That's so interesting. You, it's like you like you keep decentralizing yourself as the locus as the thing so that you can make space for the relationship to keep creating you and your partner and that's um that's such an uncanny way of going about a duet especially um all relationships a lot of people want to walk in with this sense of do 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 say um create make add to the pot um i love the idea of taking yourself out of the focus so that the relationship that's already there Hong Kong can um, can create itself for you and with you. Hmm. Well, I also think that um, I remember that time uh, we were we were we were all in residency together, and I remember uh, I remember that moment, that epiphany that you had. But I also remember that you were just finishing writing attentionographies, and you were really focused. And what I what I interpret as like, what's the what's the fascia <laughs> what's the matrix in between these these points of relationship like yes the the I, I i hear what you're saying that the that the the world that we perceive is actually a construction of relationships rather than of things but like what the fascia the fascia i think that's connecting it all is is through a substance called attention i think and i'm and i'm curious about you know your influence on how you were looking at different qualities of attention and different lineages actually of attention um and and how that led to your epiphany of how you were actually perceiving um your moments with sarah mm. yeah i attentionography is a is a concept that was put forward by uh, lisa nelson who actually called the piece like that 
um, um, not knowing so, uh, I mean, refusing to call what she was doing improvisation, where she felt that there was too many vague representations of what it could mean um, to be dancing. Um, she didn't feel represented by the word improvisation, which personally I like for at least one aspect, which is the, uh, the negative aspect. Improvisation means to, uh, to relinquish one's provisions. Yeah, uh, improvise, it's, uh, it's the negative of improvision. Um, and so to relinquish one's provision, this is a practice. It takes a lot of energy to constantly uh, accept that, okay, these provisions that I, you know, I spent years to learn to do that fucking trick and I, now I can do handstands and I'm so good at this, but this is the moment where uh, actually I am asked to relinquish them, uh, to, to, to accept that they will not be what I will share with the other. Again, uh, with the same idea that if I want to give my potential, I cannot give what I have. So improvisation is not such a bad word, but okay, let's follow Lisa Nelson who says, okay, I'm not so well represented by improvisation because what I feel I train as a dancer is my ability to attend to the world around me. Or uh, in a way, in another way, which corresponds to her vocabulary, to tune together with the environment. Uh, her practice, her main practice being called the tuning scores. Interestingly enough, tuning, attending, and attention, they can all be connected to the same lineage etymologically. Uh, um, uh, a sort of a... Of a, of a um, a constructed origin by uh, linguists, which is the radical, the Indo-European radical, tan. Uh, so they you can hear that attention, attending, uh, tension, also tuning, all of that is the same word. But what is interesting uh, is that uh, another word derives from tan, and it's dancing. Uh, dancing, the, the etymological origin of dancing, which I don't know why is never quite mentioned by dancers, <laughs> uh, the etymological origin uh, of dancing is this tension, this, uh, this, um, this link or this uh, thread that uh, connects two points, this conjunctive tissue to take back your uh, image is precisely the uh, word that gives uh, way for the word uh, uh, dancing uh, and in, through other uh, lineages to the word of attention. So consubstantially, uh, dance is about attention. There is no dance that is not a dance of attention, to put it uh, other way. Uh, the, the, the way Lisa is understanding her dance of attention is, of course, that attention uh, is here the subject, not the object of the dance, meaning that uh, there is first the attention wandering, there is first the attention being caught, being activated by the environment, and and forth a dance occurs. It's not that I am dancing and then my attention is taken by some things, and that's why I think we can take very seriously this thing that Lisa keeps repeating, that um, she, the, 
her main activity of dancing consists in watching people dance, which I feel is the, the uh, it's something that we hear a lot, like a lot of people can say that, but I, if we, if we um, um, try to explain it through this idea that uh, dance is attention, uh, we can understand uh, Lisa's proposal in this very deep way that actually what is dancing when I get to witness a dance, be that, uh, uh, the, be that a dance of a tree, a dance of, of a cloud, a dance of a cat walking in front of me, a dance of, uh, of, of someone who believes that they are doing a dance or of someone who are not. Um, all of those cases, they are cases for the viewer of being inside of a dance, as long as they are attending to their own attention. And this uh, um, attention given to attention uh, could be defined as the, 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 the event of dance. So within that, uh, that, that frame, uh, once you've kind of defined the idea that uh, dance is attention, or that uh, uh, that it, it it rests that every dance is a dance of attention, then you can somehow spot a certain number of uh, of people of of choreographers and dancers and improvisers that have made it a mission for themselves to uh, uh, practice attentionography rather than choreography. Not to say that choreography wouldn't be a an interesting thing to do um, uh, the, the the setting of uh, the setting of togetherness through movement which could be a definition of choreography uh, the setting of togetherness through movement because choreo is the the the, the, the chorus right it's the is the together it's not it, it's not the the individual originally that dances the, the, the dancer is never alone in choreography um, um, so the setting of togetherness through movement is the goal of choreography. But what if what if you 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 orient your uh, way of conceiving of dance through the writing of attention, through uh, the, the 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 designing of certain qualities of attention? And and my argument in the piece that you are referring to, Brando, is to say that. Starting in the 1960s, 1970s, a whole bunch of people, uh, for um, a great number of reasons, but one could argue historically because there was a world that was more and more at that time uh, choreographing our attention uh, in a very uh, intense way through uh, the total multiplication of advertisement in the public spaces, uh, through other, the, the proliferation of other media, uh, such, like, such as television, which was coming, the cinema, radio, blah, blah, blah. Uh, attention was becoming this uh, gigantic sphere of uh, public interest and capital investments. And so at that moment, some people, but that's, that's only a wild guess. At that moment, some people, um, uh, some choreographers uh, invested a lot of uh, their time in refining and trying to understand how their attention was directed and how to somehow uh, uh, design antidotes 
to the way attention is uh, uh, captured, directed, uh, integrated uh, in the in the social in the social environment. That's interesting because on the flip side, as someone who has to deal with a lot of choreographed movements for cinema stage companies, we have this constant question about how you remain alive in something that's been set. And it's a constant struggle because we don't usually achieve that. Uh, but it's interesting if you come at it through the lens of this um, attenuation, this attention, you can constantly bring yourself back to the living situation, even in set movement between you and the other dancer, so it can relate better to someone watching it. One of my favorite um, pieces, I, um, a woman named Rebecca Sorrell did a piece for Donna Uchizono, where she starts the piece just walking around the stage, but Becky is so invested in the attention as to how she walks. It looks like she's discovering each of her steps for the first time in front of you. And it's just like, how the hell can you watch a flurry of steps coming at your face from a company a week before and you lose attention because the performer is losing their own attention, but still having pride in the fact that they're executing it well and they're on a stage in a costume. And this woman is just showing you what it's like to experience something constantly, no matter how familiar you, are, familiar you are with it over and over again. And Contact Improv, the joy is that you constantly, the unknowing that you have while unfolding the uncertainty with your partner gets to that a little faster uh, through histories and traditions that we've sculpted through survival and disease and pandemic and economic growth and decline and all these binaries we've created for ourselves throughout the millennia, um, how we move forward in it creating more regard for each other. And it's so beautiful. My answer to that is with attention, finding more attention to yourself and the person you're near and with and the relationship is such a, a beautiful answer I get to take away from with what you just said. I want to um, ask you about something else. This might be a can of worms I'm opening, but <laughs> we were talking about new practices for the survival of this new stillness that we're in, um, you know, being isolation and, uh, um, pandemic and self self um restricting so and there's so many feelings that come with that you know it's like we have a new 12 steps of of um isolation like first you're paralyzed and some people go through denial and then anger and the displacement and people hit each one of those there's no order there's no trajectory everyone has one that fits them right off the bat right away so i wanted to ask you about a term you were bringing up called the soma political and just uh, what that is and what it means to you and how those two words are so beautiful next to each other, somatics and the politic. And not just the politics of somatics, but how you can use somatics through politics to maybe have a new approach. Yeah, th this is very much connected to what was being said earlier about the decentering of the low key of uh, pleasure and pain. There is a political distribution of the organization of a body. Uh, the, the, the way we invest different parts of our body has political meaning. Uh, so if you, um, if you want, you can do a, a, a politics of the body, which, we, uh, which could be a politics that rests on the very idea that uh, is sold to us of the body um, through a very long tradition of discipline and um, uh, uh, that, 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 that culminates somehow into the confinement of today. This is this uh, reduction uh, 
uh, more and more to this uh, very small unit of ourselves that our body uh, uh, in the limits of our skins is. If you do a somatopolitic, uh, somehow you get to uh, reopen the case of what a body is, because that's one thing that somatics have in common, is that they do not presuppose where the body ends and how it interacts with representations and mm. ideas and images and imaginations. So a somatopolitics uh, is a politics that um, uh, uh, employs the resources of the imagining body, of the body-mind, as a tool to displace uh, certain um, uh, uh, violences that are invented uh, by the uh, world-integrated capitalism. The, the word, interestingly, emerged uh, in, um, in a collaboration between uh, philosopher Paul B. Preciado, who uh, I referred to last time, who uh, is the introductor of queer theory in France, one of the main queer theorists in France, and who at that time uh, could only get a job in the dance department, in our only dance department basically in uh, France, which is in Paris 8. And so he was uh, teaching their um, uh, um, drag king classes, uh, which in the university in France is like, had never happened <laughs> in any way. Um, and so in that space, they also started to develop um, uh, bringing somatics to people living with AIDS, um, trying to understand its potentials to uh, rehabilitate a uh, uh, suffering uh, body, uh, but also a body suffering from uh, uh, discrimination. Uh, either mm. with the status of blood or with the status of their sexuality. Um, I'm bringing Preciado again because of, um, of the book where he, uh, well, first developed that idea of a soma that would be different from, uh, uh, from, from the regular body, even though he didn't call it that way because he en encountered the, the somatics after. Uh, it's the, the counter-sexual manifesto, which happened to have been translated into English last year, so it's time to read it. <laughs> uh, it's good news, uh, which presents itself as a, as a sort of a philosophy of the dildo, uh, based on a very simple motto, which is, we are all assholes. Uh, it's, a, it's a sort of a ontological proposition that makes, makes everyone on the same level. <laughs> so sort of a trans-feminist affirmation that at least from the point of view of the asshole, we are all penetrable uh, and, and penetrating. And so there's a sort of a, a, another, another reality that makes us uh, uh, together. Uh, it's a philosophy of the dildo in the sense that uh, it, it, it proposes to think, um, it's a sort of proposition, but also I think uh, it's a metaphysical and a political proposition at the same time, that uh, the, the dildo comes before the penis. 
uh, and this connects very a lot with contact improvisation. But let me make my <laughs> please. You're going to have to you're going to have to thread that for me real quick. <laughs> Explain to me how. <laughs> uh, well, the idea of Brazil, well, there, I, there is one way uh, that like I am in a complete unknown place. Like I did not <laughs> want this at all, Rama, and you're giving it to me anyways. <laughs> And I couldn't, I couldn't be happier. I was begging for this. And so it's about time. Like. <laughs> oh, see, the signifier dildo is very strong. It makes a lot of minds very crazy in all sorts of ways. No, I mean, um, Preciado's idea is to say that first we have the ability to make dildos, meaning we have the ability to create things to uh, penetrate and pleasure each other. There is a sort of a, 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 an expensive dildo tectonics, an expensive uh, capacity of building uh, tools to pleasure each other, uh, which in the heteropatriarchal world has been totally reduced to the penis. So what there is first is the dildo. The dildo being the finger, the, the tongue, the, every, every organ that we can think of, there is first the dildo. And then in certain societies, there is the penis as the penetrator. And so uh, the proposal of Preciado is to say, okay, so we need to reopen the dildo technology tectonics. We need to reopen the capacity for uh, human beings to create pleasure centers other than those that are uh, prescribed by heterocapitalist society. Why is that uh, um, connected to contact improvisation? Well, it is connected to contact improvisation, not necessarily in the sense of uh, dildo tectonics, although one could make an argument that somehow there is something about the mixing and the and the and the co-mingling of bodies that has to do with penetration, but not in a, not in the sense of penetrating inside of the uh, the sack of skin uh, uh, through the usual uh, uh, organs that get to be penetrated, but penetrating through uh, the surface of the skin, through other parts, through other combination through holes that you create in the space. All of that could be considered as a sort of a parent and parallel to the dildo tectonics, which could be a sort of vaginotectonic, a sort of a capacity to multiply, or anotectonic, a sort of capacity to multiply places where you designate a pleasure center, where you designate the ability to be penetrated, meaning where you are not, um, again, uh, a, a prisoner of free representations of what it is uh, to offer the, the possibility for the other to come uh, in you and whatever that in means. And so we come back to that leaky sense of self that I, ex I experimented uh, uh, with earlier, which is uh, uh, how much are we uh, to uh, presuppose what our bodies can do. Uh, how much are we um, prisoner of certain taboo words that make it impossible to even uh, 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 allude to the fact that uh, 
my finger can be a, a dildo, my anus can be a, a place for common uh, enjoyment, etc., etc. All of those uh, sort of forbiddances uh, are uh, sort of uh, blockages in our bodies, which benefit, uh, uh, which benefit certain investors <laughs> in 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 certain pleasure centers in our bodies. Taboos are just places where you can hold for. Uh, uh, a, a strong uh, 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 moment, the attention of the other. So what happens if you get to uh, uh, um, empower each other uh, to uh, displace these taboos? Not to say that we don't need taboos. <laughs> they are probably structuring elements of any societies, but how uh, uh, plastic can we be with them? How, uh, what can we, how can we learn to uh, recognize them, displace them if needed, a, a, a sort of an anar anarchistic approach to taboo. So that all, all of those uh, 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 propositions are contained in the idea of somatopolitical, of the somatopolitical, which uh, is a very, um, it, it's a sort of a, a, a an, anarchical uh, um, pro um, view of what a body can be. That's such a, oh, that's so interesting. And that's such a tiny kernel too, through what one little tiny part you can look at the somatic political. It's, it's such a, that uh, cracks up in so many different ways you can look at it. But it's so funny, I was, that's not the answer I was expecting or, you know, the beginnings of any answer I was expecting. I was doing this thing where I was trying to think about what you're saying while layering on the way our governmental bodies and politics work through advertising, through the Senate, through judiciary committees. And I was, then I started getting these amazing images of them in their pleasure centers with how they speak to each other and, and create rules and regulations for which we are supposed to engage with each other through these fields of dildos and anal centers, and it wasn't quite working, but I really am excited about daydreaming about it <laughs> again <laughs> a little longer because I, my expectation for that, and I'm, a, I'm fine to say I had an expectation, was somehow taking somatic work and applying just the political. And what you first made me think of was it's the self as resource, like the body's somatic politics you have to fully invest in before you then are in relation with someone else to then do politics. But uh, you obliterated for that, obliterated that for me so strongly. It's exciting, but also makes me so much more full of questions. Um, Brando, for the listeners, Brando is um, well-timed. He gets very fidgety when you know a conversation needs to wrap up. And it's a really great guy. You don't need a clock going because his body <laughs> is literally telling us when you've absorbed too much, you need to take more time away and we'll come back. And I'm excited because I think, Roma, I don't know if we'll ever get to do a third session, but I think you've opened up with this this new translation of Preciado's work that's now to English, which is very exciting. Um, there's just a lot more to tap into because you are a wind-up toy. You can say, hey, Rama, if I said the word love to you, what do you think? And then, you know, we just sit back and experience it. So in saying how grateful and thankful for we are to talk to you again, uh, thank you for all of that. 
it's a joy to see you. Oh my God, each time I speak, my avatar comes into the screen and, and so I see my little girl with this unicorn hat in front of me, who is me, but uh, <laughs> in another dimension. Um, I, I was about to say, it's a, it was really a joy to speak with you again. And I do hope that we get to speak uh, another, a third time together. Uh, when you were speaking, I, I just thought about this uh, famous Emma Goldman uh, quote, you know, uh, if I can't dance, I won't be part of your revolution. Um, this, is, uh, this, is, this is somehow what I understand as a somatopolitics. Wow, that is rude. Like, wow, to just drop something like that at the end of an interview. And we can, great, great, cool. I guess we know what we're starting with next time. know how to tease us. Really know how to just do that, Roma. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much again for being with us. And yeah, let's, let's, let's continue um, seeing each other through this way and, and your beautiful gardens behind you and, and all, all the world of wisdom that you bring and, um, and the joy in which you share it with. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> your voice is very suave, uh, Paul. Oh my God. Now that you changed uh, closet. Roma is really more of a problem for the podcast than it is a benefit because it just makes all of us uh, pale in comparison it, yeah. to the bedroom voice that we have to contend with. Yeah. Can, can, you, can you speak with a higher speech? <laughs> nope, I've been practicing all morning to sound this sexy. <laughs>